Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Good morning again, everybody. <clears throat> Glad you're here. If you uh, have your Bible, we're going to open up the, to the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible. Uh, we're going to start kind of in chapter four. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can find our live event. Along, If you want a physical Bible, you can put in your lap. Uh, you don't have your... Kind of episode by episode, and so this is the third episode in this installment, in this season, if you will. Um, and we're going to take a kind of a big textual chunk um, today, but the story really centers at this point in the story, it really centers around the issue of obedience. And the reason why um, I think it's important to highlight this is simply this some people think that in their life of following God, in their spiritual life, if they read enough, um, they'll be uh, smart enough to follow God, or if they'll be tender enough to follow God, or if they do this enough, or if they do that enough, it will, um, they'll be whatever enough in order to follow God. But the truth of the matter is, is that in the Christian life, for everybody who has committed their life to God, has been ravished, if you will, by the reckless love that we just sung about. In the Christian life, obedience is the organ of knowledge. Meaning, if you want to really know and live with this God, you have to live with him in an obedient relationship. So our obedience is the way that we come to know things. It is critical that we read. It is critical that we pray. It is critical that we do all of this kind of stuff, but we don't do it for its own sake. We do it for the sake of obedience or as an expression of obedience. So three statements today out of the chapters that we're going to work our way through um, uh, in, in the book of Exodus here. And just so that everybody's on the same page, uh, Exodus chapter one, the people of God have been put into slavery by Pharaoh because there was cultural and political they're in slavery. Exodus chapter 2, God saves Moses and uh, readies him through the wilderness uh, to be their deliverer. And we are going to now kind of pick up the story. Here is statement number one from the text. Um, that uh, when it comes to obedience, you and I, we need to be people because we're following God, uh, experiencing his deliverance and becoming his people. We need to be people who obey what we already know to do. There are times when Obedience is profoundly complicated. I don't know how to navigate this particular situation. What I'm telling you now is that you and I need to obey what we already know um, to do. Uh, Moses in the book, we won't look at all of them here. Uh, we'll read in just a second. Uh, but Moses in chapter, uh, the last half of chapter 3, and the, uh, basically the entire chapter of chapter 4, uh, see, see, if you, see if you identify with this. He objects to God five different times. Five times. So, Moses, you're going to go to Egypt, and you're going to be uh, the deliverer for my people. I'm going to bring them out. Objection number one. God, who am I that you're sending me? God says, don't worry about who you are. I'm going to be with you. That's really all that matters. Objection number two. But who are you? What do I tell them your name is? Well, I am who I am. That's what you need to know. And when they ask, that's what you tell them. Uh, number three. What if they don't believe me? Well, throw the stick down. See, it's a snake. Pick it up. See, it's a stick. Put your hand inside your robe. Look, now it's leprous. Oh, put your hand back inside. Now it's whole. I got you, man. Don't worry about it. That was objection number three. Uh, objection number four. Um, when something like this. But, 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 but God, I, I stutter. I stutter. I take this personally. I think I've told this story in here before. 
When I was in first grade, I had to go to speech uh, therapy because I was a stutterer. And here I am doing what I get to do. It's pretty amazing. And God's response then was kind of God's response now. Dude, who made your tongue? Come on now. <laughs> and then finally, and this is where I identify most probably with, with Moses. You know, all of these objections. His fifth objection is finally, oh God, just send somebody else. <laughs> I love that part. Anybody have any like uh, kinship with Moses at this point in their life? Hey God, if there are other options, I'm really... And he'll be your mouthpiece. And if you track carefully, you think, oh, that's good. Moses now gets a sidekick. Batman has Robin. Everything's going to be great. If you track the story, though, Aaron is not a good sidekick. There's a whole golden calf incident coming. I mean, there's plenty of issues down the road where Aaron really messed some things up. Not a good sidekick. Moses objected. He objected five different times. And then when it came to the point... Of his Exodus chapter 3, verse 18, you can go look it up later, but in Exodus 3, verse 18, uh, God tells him, You go speak to the elders of Israel, all the kind of leaders there, and I want you and all of them to show up before Pharaoh and say, Dude, you got to let my people go out to the wilderness. There's going to be a sacrifice. In Exodus chapter 5, verse 1, look what happens. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Who was supposed to go to Pharaoh? Moses and all the elders of Israel. Who went to Pharaoh? Moses and Aaron. So this is the part, again, where if you have any affinity for Moses, just see if this lines up. Moses, and I put this in parentheses, sort of obeyed. Like he sort of did. He, he said what he was supposed to, but he didn't do it exactly uh, like God said. And, and really, that led me to this question this week. Are there commandments in my life? Are there commandments in your life? Are there commandments in our life together that we've been neglecting? Are there things that God has already said that we have gone, hey, yeah, ish, ish, ish. And I just, I had a little brainstorming session, put some of these down, uh, see if these land anywhere. It's just a list. And if you were, uh, you know, grab your phone, take a picture of a person, that doesn't bother me in the least. Um, the importance of gathering. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about how we shouldn't neglect gathering together. Because we need one another. The the. There is a good mediator. His name is Jesus. In this area, and we are reaping the consequences of it 
But our commitment as followers of Jesus, our commitment to purity is, God, there are some things that you say are bad for us. We want to not do those. There are some things that you say that are good for us, and we want to do those. Commitment to purity. Thirdly, in alignment of um, the three T's, they're pretty typical, um, is, the, is your time and your treasure, your financial resources, and your talent, the things that God has put into you to be a blessing to the world, are those in line with kingdom priorities? Is, does your calendar look and smell like the kingdom? Has it been stained by that? Is your, is your uh, bank statement reflective of kingdom priorities? Are the, the things that you actually get to do that God has put in you, the talents that you have, does that reflect um, the, the alignment with the kingdom? Fourthly, the experience of rest. I said that, I put that one down because it's important. We're going to pick this up when we uh, take up the Ten Commandments in a few weeks. Uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Um, we live in suburbia. All hit the afterburner is the normal pace. God says six days work, seventh day rest. Why? Because it's in that practice that you remember that it really doesn't all depend on you. Richard Foster in his book, The Celebration of the Discipline. I, I think I'll get an amen out of this one. Richard Foster in his book, The Celebration of the Discipline, when talking about the discipline of rest, said sometimes the holiest thing that you can do is take a nap. If we had a vote right now, that would be great. Thank you so much. There's, there's a, again, because of our cultural context, because of the ways that some of the things push us around here, we want to have opportunities. We want to be committed. We want to volunteer. We want to serve. Are there moments when you experience rest and remind yourself that you are not the center of this whole thing and it really doesn't all depend on you? Fifthly, um, is there relating to those around you? Sometimes when we're in relationships, specifically in conversation, they're talking and I'm like half listening because I'm already teeing up the things that I'm going to say back. Yeah? Anybody? No? Yeah? Yeah? That, that's not healthy relating, by the way. I'm confessing that. That's not good. Um, sometimes it's easier to talk about someone than it is to talk to them because it makes me feel better. But the idea is not for me to feel better. The, the idea is for us to be healthy in our relationships. Uh, uh, fifthly, whatever we're on, five, six, whatever the number is up there. Um, are you, is your life organized for spiritual growth? Are there disciplines, rhythms in your life that reflect the priority of God? I want you to do something in my life. I want to be changed, transformed by the power of the good news of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, do you have a plan? Do you have a plan for reading your Bible? Do you have a, a list of things that you are consistently setting before God in prayer? Are you practicing the other disciplines? Do you fast? Do you serve? Um, do you do things in secret? Uh, do you give? Um, do you share the gospel? Do you do those things? Are there, is there a plan? And organi- is your life organized in order to promote your spiritual growth? And lastly, do you have control of your emotional life or does it have control of you? The, the Bible has plenty to say about our emotional life. Be angry, don't sin, don't let the sun go down on your anger, and on and on and on. Um, f- forgive, just as you have been forgiven. We could just keep tracking along with that. 
Um, we, we have said this before, I, years, I mean, decades ago now, I'll pick this up from Dallas Willard, um, that, that emotions, they are great companions, and they are terrible guides. So we want to be people who let the Holy Spirit shape all of that, you know, control of your emotional life. Are there, are there commandments in your life that you've neglected? And if so, what does it look like for you to bring that particular section of your life, that res- to respond to that particular set of commandments, to bring those in line um, with the, the plan that God um, has declared to be best? I say that to say, just as a warning shot across the bow here of everybody, um, if we are not obedient to what God has already said, then I don't think we have firm ground to stand on that we will experience deliverance from Egypt and getting into the promised land, folks. What I'm saying is, like, if I'm not listening to what God has already said, I cannot have any, I don't have any confidence at all that I can count on him to speak about something else. Why in the world would he continue to speak if I'm going to be disobedient to what he's already said? We shouldn't expect to make it out of Egypt or into it to play a role to help others get out. If I'm not willing to be obedient to what God's already said. And, and so that, that leads me to this second kind of pastoral question. Um, are you stuck? Like, I get it that people have struggles being obedient in some areas. Are you stuck or are you just being stubborn? And, and there is a difference. Some people get stuck because they've got addictions or they've got family dynamics that they just continually respond to. I mean, they, they just get stuck. And if that's the case, like, like this from trauma or other things people get stuck he just says to him very simply oh go clean your room go clean my room what does that have to do with because like our room is kind of an expression if you will of our personhood and if i can take care of that one thing then maybe i can take care of something else too so in this particular area, if you're stuck do a simple thing that you know to do the tires turn a little bit if you're stuck, get help. But, but secondly, if you're stubborn, repent. I mean, that is the consistent call of the Bible to people who know what they should do and don't. Repent. Turn away from that. Whatever promise you're believing, whatever reward you think is coming, whatever uh, you know, kind of thing that wells up inside, turn away from that and turn to God because it's a better way than the way that you live in right now. Don't be stubborn. Either, either way... We need someone, and there's a picture in Exodus 4. Uh, we, we won't read it. Either way, we need someone to step in and be a mediator on our behalf. And in Exodus chapter 4, Moses had not, uh, is headed back to Egypt, had not circumcised his kids. Uh, Zipporah does it and, and, uh, and has this really weird scene where um, uh, she does it and then, and then says to Moses, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. I just, I don't recommend that in your conversation with your significant other. I don't, I, I, most people don't even know what that means, except I, I think it's something along the lines of, 
Dude, you're really unrighteous. You're going to go try to do a righteous thing, but you're being unrighteous because you haven't done what God already said to do. And we need someone to step in for us in that way. Obey what you know to do. When we do obey, um, sometimes it doesn't go the way that we expect. I don't know about you, but I have moments when I step into uh, obedience and I'm like, cool, God, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I know that this, this, and this is going to happen as a result, and none of those things happen. Anybody with me on this? So, and that's really the second thing about obedience. We, we obey God um, when outcomes are unexpected. If you are that way, then I want to say to you, you're not alone in this. I point you to the book of Job, who Job was doing it all right, and it still went sideways for him. I point you to the Psalms, where David and many other of the psalmists said, um, Hey, look, God, I'm over here keeping my hands clean. My heart is pure before you, and it's those people over there who are getting fat. What's up with that? Can you help a brother out? Because I don't get it. You're not alone. If you were experiencing that, obedience, and then it doesn't go the way that you expected, um, you're not alone. And secondly, uh, before we get start reading here in chapter 5, God rarely, not never, but rarely prescribes a timeline or a process. Hey, three days from now or six days from now or a, a week from now or 40 days from now, he rarely prescribes that. He does sometimes, but rarely. Uh, a timeline or, or a process. Hey, if you'll take these five steps, it'll get you to where you want to go. You and I, especially you and I, in our culture, because we got engineers around here or retired engineers around here, we all, want, we all love the process stuff, right? Move from this point to this point to this point. Let's flowchart our lives to make this magic happen. We love that stuff. God rarely tr- interacts with us like that. His typical guidance is by his presence rather than some process that he lays out for us. You and I, we want a map. If we were going to be experiencing the, deliver, the uh, deliverance out of Egypt, we would be like, okay, so Moses, uh, sh- the best path it looks like is we're going to go four days journey this way and we're going to turn right at the mountain. We'll go three days journey until we hit that lake. Then we're going to turn left and then there's a grove of trees. We'll stop there for the night and, would, and we'd map that thing out. What did God say? There'll be a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and when it moves you move i'm going to be with you we want a map god wants to be our guide he rarely prescribes a timeline or a process when the unexpected does occur i just want to say you're not alone you're not alone it it happened in moses um, day in, in this Exodus story. So we're going to start in chapter 5, verse 2, and we're going to read a, a bunch of verses here uh, in chapter 5. You ready? Here are some of the outcomes. And again, you can just snap a picture. Uh, but Pharaoh, uh, chapter, uh, yeah, chapter 5, verse 2. Uh, but Pharaoh said, Who is the I am, the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the I am, the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. First thing, out of the box, God gets mocked. Hey, I'm doing the right thing, God, and you get mocked. That doesn't seem good at all. Pharaoh's like, hey, who's, who's, who are you talking about? Who's this Lord guy? Who's this I am that you keep saying? Psh, I don't know that guy. I mean, I got some other guys, but I don't know that one. I ain't worried. God gets mocked. And in our day and in our age, it's not just God who gets mocked. It's often those who follow him. It's part of the deal, man. 
Secondly, you do the right thing and it still doesn't go the way that you anticipated. Keep reading verse 3. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go to a three days, uh, go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice uh, to the Lord our God lest he fall upon us with a pestilence or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many. You make them rest from their burdens. Their motives were questioned. Anybody ever obeyed God and the motives got questioned? Hey, why are you doing this? Surely you want something back. I can't give you back what you... Motives were questioned. And, and inevitably, when motives get questioned, we take that really personally because they're speaking about our character. Verse 6, uh, verse, excuse me, verse 7. Uh, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, he says. As in the past, get, uh, let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. The word there is lazy. Therefore they cried, let us go um, and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard uh, to their lying words. Sometimes when we obey, the task that we think we are set out to do actually becomes more difficult. In, in Moses' day, they had... Uh, they were making bricks for these construction projects and they had straw provided. Uh, and then the Pharaoh. The opposition that comes our way. Then we're beaten and we're asked, why have you not done all your today and yesterday in the past? So now um, God has been mocked. Motives have been questioned. The task itself has become more difficult. And people that we care about are being caught in the middle. So you had Pharaoh and then these taskmasters. And then the foremen were the Hebrews uh, who were kind of managing their own people. And it was these foremen right here who took the beating. So now they're caught in between two forces. Those of the impossibility of making bricks without straw when you don't have straw. Um, and and, and the, the taskmasters who said, but you still got to do it. You got people who are caught in between. That's one of the... We're sitting here trying to do the right thing. And not only is it getting harder and harder and harder, but now there's collateral damage. What is up with that? Skipping down to verse 20. The elders... They, they met Moses and Aaron, verse 20, uh, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge. Because you made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. And have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So now Moses and Aaron are taking the heat. They're being, the, they're being blamed for this. Now, whose fault was it that these people were being beaten? It was Pharaoh's fault. But Moses is a much more convenient target than Pharaoh. So they were, they were the ones getting blamed. As a result, blame was misplaced. And lastly, well, just before we get and things get harder and people that you love care for are getting damaged in the process and people that turn towards you and start assigning blame. 
One of the responses is exactly what Moses did, verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. You've not delivered your people at all. They questioned God. Hey God, are you still up there? You still doing the things? Because it doesn't look like at all that you're doing the thing that you're doing. The thing that you said you're going to do. I thought, God, you were going to deliver your people. Instead, it's getting worse and worse and worse. He questioned God. These are, in this particular story, outcomes. Uh, Ours may look very similar or they may look different. Here's the thing, and I I don't want us to walk away. When, When God is mocked, when our motives get questioned, when the task becomes more difficult, when people that we love are caught in between and experience the kind of rippling damage of this, um, when blame comes back our way, even though we're just trying to do the right thing, when God gets questioned, listen to me, there is always a cost in following God. Always. If we're going to be people who step out and follow, there's a cost. Now, here's the thing. There's a higher cost in not following him. Had Moses said finally, okay, God, fine, I'm out, forget it, the people would have remained in Egypt. There's a higher cost in not following. But I don't want to pretend otherwise to say that there's not a cost in following God. There is. There is. Last statement about obedience. Um, Obey in order to overcome fear. Obey in order to overcome fear. Let's start in chapter 6, verse 28. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I'm the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, what I tell you. Moses said to the Lord, I'm uncircumcised of lips. How will Pharaoh listen? And the Lord said to Moses, see, I made you like a god to him. Your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel out of this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians, they shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them, Moses... And don't, don't, don't miss this. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now, just picture all of this. They've, Moses was, hey, God, send somebody else, Exodus 3 and 4. Exodus 5, God, we sort of did what you said, but all this other stuff kind of came our way and nothing worked out, like you said. We, we'll look at some more here in Exodus 6 in a second. Um, but, but Exodus 7 Finally, they step up and do what they're supposed to do. All of the fear just piled up. Three, four, five, six finally gets expressed in obedience uh, in chapter 7. Biblical fear, folks, is a spiritual problem. And I want to delineate uh, between the two. So all you kiddos in here, I need, I need some help. Can you kids lock in for a second? Um, what are some things that are really scary? I'll go first. Spiders. Darkness, is that what you said? Dark, okay, yeah, yeah, somebody else. Come on, help me. I said spiders. Go ahead, Bryce. Clowns. Yes, 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 yes. We get two amens. Keegan, huh? 
Blood. Blood is scary. G. Spider-Man? I'm having a hard time hearing up here. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, all right. Uh, one more, okay. Chores are scary. Good thing you're sitting with grandma instead of mama is all I'm saying. So we have some scary things, yeah? Clowns, snakes, spiders, chores. We're not talking in that realm. That's not the realm we're living in. We're talking in the realm of, God, I hear what you're saying, and I just think, no, I don't know, man. We're talking in the realm of things that come upon us and seize us and lock us down. Biblical fear, this kind of fear that we're talking about over here, is a spiritual problem. Church family, 18, 20 months, however you count it, wherever you put the starting point, we have lived with fear. Our lives have been marked by it, and our world has been taken over by it at times. This is primarily a spiritual problem. I want to point back to the scriptures um, that Tara read for us a, a little bit ago. But why? Because you cannot, you cannot, this, this kind of biblical fear, you cannot manipulate your way out of it. Manipulation is what got you in it to it in the first place. You can't think your way out of it. You cannot pretend your way out of it. You cannot binge watch Netflix and bore yourself to death out of it. You can't jump on Facebook and rally all the troops to get out of it. This is a spiritual problem. Look at look at 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and the verse the, the, the version I learned and a sound mind. So when the spirit of fear is operating, what we don't have is power and love and a sound mind. When the spirit of fear is operating in us, um, uh, the, the, the power that should be ours is, is short-circuited. Instead, the power is in the fear and it seizes us. It paralyzes us. It causes us to do all sorts of crazy or not do things that we know we should do. And further, because I've lost power... I also have lost love. I then begin in my relationships, begin to assume the worst about you. Um, I assume the worst about your motives. I assume the worst about your situation. I assume the worst about the way that you're thinking. And and furthermore, not only am I... uh, loveless in that, I am then assigning all sorts of value uh, statements to you that you would never, ever assign to. And you and I may have years of history, but I'm washing all that stuff away. Why? Because the spirit of fear has taken over. And a sound mind. We lose the ability to logically get from A to B. Instead, we're like A to like 432. We're not even jumping the same scale anymore. The, the, the disconnect in our brain is so um, torqued by fear that we cannot, we cannot logically get from there. This is not a sound mind. When the spirit of fear is operating in us, we don't have power, we don't have love, we don't have sound mind. But this is not the spirit that God's given us. So how then do we break that? How do we do it? We don't think our way out of it. We obey our way out of it. To reckon with fear, you must obey God. Now, some people say, well, what what about faith? Faith over fear, right? Faith over fear. Yes, yes, faith over fear. But faith in what? Not faith. You don't have faith in faith. You have faith in God. And and furthermore, faith expresses itself in obedience. Otherwise, it's dead. That's what James says. So faith in a promise of God. This is the place that we stand. God has given us promise. 
promises in His Word. This is the place that we stand so that we have solid footing to take a step of obedience. You don't um, pretend your way out of fear. You obey your way out of it. Here I am, God. I am going to believe you, that you are who you say you are and you will do. You say you are faithful. And now I'm going to take a step of obedience as a result of that. To, to overcome our fear, we obey. To overcome fear, we obey. There, there, there is no time limit, by the way, in case you're wondering. Just this last little verse here. Uh, verse 6, Moses and Aaron did so. There's the obedience. They did just as the Lord commanded. Verse 7, now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. You, you think you're past your prime and out of the game. There's no time limit on this deal. And goodness knows the church doesn't need less mentors and models. So all you people with a few more miles on your tires, the whites worn off the white walls, we don't need you less. We need you more. To reckon with fear, you must obey God. You stand on the promise, and because that's solid ground, you step forward in obedience. That's how we reckon with fear. And I've got good news. God has made promises to us. Things that we can count on. I just point you to one as a a model of what God did. I'm backing up to chapter 6, verse 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the I am, the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from your slavery to them. And I will redeem you, listen, with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. And I will take you to be my people. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You'll know that I'm the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. What did he say? What was what the promise? Redemption, how? With an outstretched arm. God, God's going to do something on our behalf. And then he's going to make us his people. Nowhere, I mean, Moses experienced that in part. You and I get to experience it in full. Because nowhere is that more clearly seen than the outstretched arms of Jesus. He comes to the earth human, God in the flesh. He lives perfectly, and then at the hands of a different Pharaoh, so to speak, at the hands of a different kingdom, if you will, he dies with outstretched arms, bringing deliverance and making us his people. And because he kept his word to us, because he said, excuse me, because he did what he said we could do, we would stand on that promise. I will deliver you with an outstretched arm. And we can step forward into obedience. So, if you're not a follower of Jesus in here, you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian. I just want to say, if anybody watching online, I just want to say today is the day that you can put your trust in the God who delivers you with an outstretched arm. Today's that day. If you are a follower of Jesus in here, I want to remind you that he has made you his people. And because he has done that, we can live without fear. We can obey him. And it's critical to do so in our day and in our age. So let me pray for us, and then we'll have a, just a moment of response here. Once you kind of get settled, maybe you ask yourself, if you're a follower of Jesus in here, ask yourself this question. Is there an area of my life that is not in full surrender to him? And if so, 
this would be a moment to start that surrender process. And if you're not a follower of Jesus in here, if you're watching online and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to surrender to him. Surrender your life. Surrender yourself. Surrender your sin. You will find a loving king who is forgiving. And then he will transform you so that you begin to live differently than you've ever lived before. That's his promise. Why? Because he will be with you and in you and he will begin to work on you to make you who he wants you to be. Give your life to him today. And Holy Spirit, for the work that you're doing in in the hearts of those watching online, I pray that you continue that. Help them know that fear is a liar and you are the only truth speaker in this situation. Tear down the things that need to be torn down. Piece back together the things that need to be pieced together. For folks who might be stuck, God, would you send help? Great acts of judgment and an outstretched arm. For folks who might be just stubborn, struggling, Lord, give them the grace of repentance that leads to life. That's what we ask now in Christ's name. Amen.